Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two of the Talisman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. The Talisman by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two. He led the way accordingly to a splendid pavilion, where was everything that royal luxury could devise. De Vaux, who was in attendance, then removed the chappy, or long riding-cloak, which Richard wore, and he stood before Saladin in the close dress, which showed to advantage the strength and symmetry of his person, while it bore a strong contrast to the flowing robes which disguised the thin frame of the eastern monarch. It was Richard's two-handed sword that chiefly attracted the attention of the Saracen, a broad straight blade, the seemingly unwieldy length of which extended well nigh from the shoulder to the heel of the wearer. "'Had I not,' said Saladin, "'seen this brand flaming in the front of battle, like that of Azrael, I had scarce believed that human arm could wield it. Might I request to see the Melachric strike one blow with it in peace, and in pure trial of strength?' "'Willingly, noble Saladin,' answered Richard, and, looking around for something wherein to exercise his strength, he saw a steel mace held by one of the attendants, the handle being of the same metal, and about an inch and a half in diameter. This he placed on a block of wood. The anxiety of De Vaux for his master's honour led him to whisper in English, "'For the blessed virgin's sake, beware what you attempt, my liege. Your full strength is not as yet returned.' "'Give no triumph to the infidel.' "'Peace, fool,' said Richard, "'standing firm on his ground, "'and casting a fierce glance around. "'Thinkest thou that I can fail in his presence?' "'The glittering broadsword, "'wielded by both his hands, "'rose aloft to the king's left shoulder, "'circled round his head, "'descended with the sway of some terrific engine, "'and the bar of iron rolled on the ground in two pieces.' as a woodsman would sever a sapling with a hedging-bill. "'By the head of the prophet, a most wonderful blow,' said the soldan, critically and accurately examining the iron bar, which had been cut asunder. And the blade of the sword was so well-tempered as to exhibit not the least token of having suffered by the feat it had performed. He then took the king's hand, and looking on the size and muscular strength which it exhibited, laughed as he placed it beside his own, so lank and thin, so inferior in brawn and sinew. "'Aye, look well,' said de Vaux in English. "'It will be long ere your long jackknapes' fingers do such a feat with your fine gilded reaping-hook there.' "'Silence, de Vaux,' said Richard. "'By our lady, he understands or guesses thy meaning. Be not so broad, I pray thee.' The soldan, indeed, presently said, "'something I would fain attempt. "'Though wherefore should the weak show the inferiority "'in presence of the strong? "'Yet each land hath his own exercises, "'and this may be new to the Melachric.' "'So saying, he took from the floor a cushion of silk and down, "'and placed it upright and on end. "'Can thy weapon, my brother, sever that cushion?' "'he said to King Richard. "'No, surely,' replied the king. No sword on earth, were it the Excalibur of King Arthur, can cut that which opposes no steady resistance to the blow. 
Mark, then, said Saladin, and, tucking up the sleeve of his gown, showed his arm, thin indeed and spare, but which constant exercise had hardened into a mass consisting of naught but bone, brawn, and sinew. He unsheathed his scimitar, a curved and narrow blade, which glittered not like the swords of the Franks, but was, on the contrary, of a dull blue colour, marked with ten millions of meandering lines, which showed how anxiously the metal had been wielded by the armourer. Wielding this weapon, apparently so inefficient when compared to that of Richard, the Soldan stood, resting his weight upon his left foot, which was slightly advanced. He braced himself a little, as if to steady his aim, then, stepping at once forward, drew the scimitar across the cushion, applying the edge so dexterously and with so little apparent effort that the cushion seemed rather to fall asunder than to be divided by violence. "'It's a juggler's trick,' said de Vaux, darting forward and snatching up the portion of the cushion which had been cut off, as if to ensure himself of the reality of the feat. "'There is grammaire in this.' The Soldan seemed to comprehend him, for he undid the sort of veil which he had hitherto worn, laid it double along the edge of his sabre, extended the weapon edgeways in the air, and, drawing it suddenly through the veil, although it hung on the blade entirely loose, severed that also into two parts, which floated to different sides of the tents, equally displaying the extreme temper and sharpness of the weapon, and the exquisite dexterity of him who used it. "'Now, in good faith, my brother,' said Richard, "'thou art even matchless at the trick of the sword, "'and right perilous were it to meet thee. "'Still, however, I put some faith in a downright English blow, "'and what we cannot do by slight we eke out by strength. "'Nevertheless, in truth, thou art as expert in inflicting wounds "'as my sage Hakim in curing them. "'I trust I shall see the learned leech. "'I have much to thank him for, and had brought some small present.' As he spoke, Saladin exchanged his turban for a tartar cap. He had no sooner done so than de Vaux opened at once his extended mouth and his large round eyes, and Richard gazed with scarce less astonishment, while the Soldan spoke in a grave and altered voice. The sick man, saith the poet, while he is yet infirm, knoweth the physician by his step, but when he is recovered, he knoweth not even his face when he looks upon him. "'A miracle! a miracle!' exclaimed Richard. "'Of Mahound's working, doubtless,' said Thomas de Vaux. "'That I should lose my learned Hakim,' said Richard, "'merely by absence of his cap and robe, "'and that I should find him again in my royal brother Saladin.' "'Such is oft the fashion of the world,' answered the Soldan. "'The tattered robe makes not always a device.' "'And it was through thy intercession,' said Richard, that yonder knight of the leopard was saved from death, and by thy artifice that he revisited my camp in disguise? Even so, replied Saladin. I was physician enough to know that, unless the wounds of his bleeding honour were stenched, the days of his life must be few. His disguise was more easily penetrated than I had expected from the success of my own. An accident, said King Richard, probably alluding to the circumstance of his applying to his lips, to the wound of the supposed Nubian. Let me first know that his skin was artificially discoloured, 
and that hint once taken, detection became easy, for his form and person are not to be forgotten. I confidently expect that he will do battle on the morrow. He is full in preparation and high in hope, said the Soldan. I have furnished him with weapons and horse, thinking nobly of him from what I have seen under various disguises. Knows he now, said Richard, to whom he lies under obligation? He doth, replied the Saracen. I was obliged to confess my person when I unfolded my purpose. And confessed he ought to you, said the King of England. Nothing explicit, replied the Soldan. But from much that passed between us, I conceive his love is too highly placed to be happy in its issue. "'And thou knowest that his daring and insolent passion "'crossed thine own wishes?' said Richard. "'I might guess so much,' said Saladin. "'But his passion had existed ere my wishes had been formed, "'and, I must now add, is likely to survive them. "'I cannot, in honour, revenge me for my disappointment "'on him who had no hand in it. "'Or, if this high-born dame loved him better than myself, who can say that she did not justice to a knight of her own religion, who is full of nobleness? Yet of too mean lineage to mix with the blood of Plantagenet, said Richard haughtily. Such may be your maxims in Fragistan, replied the Soldan. Our poets of the eastern countries say that a valiant camel-driver is worthy to kiss the lips of a fair queen when a cowardly prince is not worthy to salute the hem of her garment. But, with your permission, noble brother, I must take leave of thee for the present, to receive the Duke of Austria and yonder Nazarene knight, much less worthy of hospitality, but who must yet be suitably entreated, not for their sakes, but for mine own honour. For what saith the sage Lokman? Say not that the food is lost unto thee, which is given to the stranger, for if his body be strengthened and fattened therewithal, not less is thine own worship and good name cherished and augmented. The Saracen monarch departed from King Richard's tent, and, having indicated to him, rather with signs than with speech, where the pavilion of the queen and her attendants was pitched, he went to receive the Marquess of Montserrat and his attendants, for whom, with less good will, but with equal splendour, the magnificent Soldan had provided accommodations. The most ample refreshments, both in the Oriental and after the European fashion, were spread before the royal and princely guests of Saladin, each in their own separate pavilion. And so attentive was the Soldan to the habits and tastes of his visitors, that Grecian slaves were stationed to present them with the goblet, which is the abomination of the sect of Mohammed. Ere Richard had finished his meal, the ancient Omrah, who had brought the Soldan's letter to the Christian camp, ended with a plan of the ceremonial to be observed on the succeeding day of combat. Richard, who knew the taste of his old acquaintance, invited him to pledge him in a flagon of wine of Shiraz. But Abdullah gave him to understand, with a rueful aspect, that self-denial in the present circumstances was a matter in which his life was concerned for that Saladin, tolerant in many respects, both observed and enforced by high penalties the law of the prophet. "'Nay, then,' said Richard, "'if he loves not wine, 
that lightener of the human heart, his conversion is not to be hoped for, and the prediction of the mad priest of Ingadi goes like chaff down the wind. The king then addressed himself to settle the articles of combat, which cost a considerable time, as it was necessary on some points to consult with the opposite parties, as well as with the soldan. They were at length finally agreed upon, and adjusted by protocol in French and in Arabian, which was subscribed by Saladin as umpire of the field, and by Richard and Leopold as guarantees for the two combatants. As the Omron took his final leave of King Richard for the evening, de Vaux entered. "'The good knight,' he said, "'who is to do battle to-morrow, "'requests to know whether he may not, to-night, "'pay duty to his royal godfather.' "'Hast thou seen him, de Vaux?' said the king, smiling. "'And didst thou know an ancient acquaintance?' "'By Our Lady of Lanacost, answered de Vaux, "'there are so many surprises and changes in this land "'that my poor brain turns. "'I scarce knew Sir Kenneth of Scotland, "'till his good hound, "'that had been for a short while under my care, "'came and fawned on me, "'and even then I only knew the tyke "'by the depth of his chest, "'the roundness of his foot.' and his manner of baying, for the poor gazehound was painted like any Venetian courtesan. "'Thou art better skilled in brutes than men, de Vaux, said the king. "'I will not deny,' said de Vaux, "'I have found them oft-times the honester animals. "'Also your grace is pleased to term me sometimes a brute myself. "'Besides that, I serve the lion, whom all men acknowledge the king of brutes.' "'By St. George, there thou brokest thy lance fairly on my brow,' said the king. "'I have ever said thou hast a sort of wit, de Vaux. "'Marry, one must strike thee with a sledge-hammer, ere it can be made to sparkle. "'But to the present gear, is the good knight well-armed and equipped?' "'Fully, my liege, and nobly,' answered de Vaux. "'I know the armour well. "'It is that which the Venetian commissary offered your highness, "'just ere you became ill.' "'for five hundred Byzants. "'And he hath sold it to the infidel Soldan, I warrant me, "'for a few ducats more, and present payment. "'These Venetians would sell the sepulchre itself.' "'The armour will never be borne in a nobler cause,' said de Vaux. "'Thanks to the nobleness of the Saracen,' said the king, "'not to the avarice of the Venetians.' "'I would to God your grace would be more cautious.' "'said the anxious de Vaux. "'Here are we, deserted by our allies, "'for points of offence given to one or other. "'We cannot hope to prosper upon the land, "'and we have only to quarrel with the amphibious republic "'to lose the means of retreat by sea.' "'I will take care,' said Richard impatiently. "'But school me no more. "'Tell me rather, for it is of interest. "'Hath the knight a confessor?' "'He hath,' answered de Vaux. The hermit of Engadi, who erst did him that office when preparing for death, attends him on the present occasion, the fame of the jewel having brought him hither. "'Tis well,' said Richard. "'And now for the knight's request. Say to him, Richard will receive him when the discharge of his devour beside the diamond of the desert shall have atoned for his fault beside the mount of St. George. And as thou passest through the camp, let the queen know I will visit her pavilion.' "'and tell Blondel to meet me there.' "'De Vaux departed, 
and in about an hour afterwards, Richard, wrapping his mantle around him, and taking his gittern in his hand, walked in the direction of the Queen's pavilion. Several Arabs passed him, but always with averted heads and looks fixed upon the earth, though he could observe that all gazed earnestly after him when he was passed. This led him justly to conjecture that his person was known to them, but that either the Soldan's commands, or their own oriental politeness, forbade them to seem to notice a sovereign who desired to remain incognito. When the king reached the pavilion of his queen, he found it guarded by those unhappy officials, whom eastern jealousy places around the Zenena. Blondel was walking before the door, and touched his rote from time to time in a manner which made the Africans show their ivory teeth, and bear burden with their strange gestures and shrill, unnatural voices. "'What art thou after with this herd of black cattle, Blondel?' said the king. "'Wherefore goest thou not into the tent?' "'because my trade can neither spare the hand nor the fingers,' said Blondel. "'And these honest black moors threatened to cut me from joint to joint, if I pressed forward.' "'Well, enter with me,' said the king, "'and I will be thy safeguard.' "'The blacks accordingly lowered pikes and swords to King Richard, "'and bent their eyes on the ground, as if unworthy to look upon him.' In the interior of the pavilion they found Thomas de Vaux, in attendance on the Queen. While Berengaria welcomed Blondel, King Richard spoke for some time secretly and apart with his fair kinswoman. At length, "'Are we still foes, my dear Edith?' he said in a whisper. "'No, my liege,' said Edith, in a voice just so low as not to interrupt the music. "'None can bear enmity against King Richard,' when he deigns to show himself, as he really is, generous and noble, as well as valiant and honourable. So saying, she extended her hand to him. The king kissed it in token of reconciliation, and then proceeded. "'You think, my sweet cousin, that my anger in this matter was feigned, but you are deceived. The punishment I inflicted upon this night was just, for he had betrayed, no matter for how tempting a bribe, fair cousin, the trust committed to him.' "'But I rejoice, perchance as much as you, "'that to-morrow gives him a chance to win the field, "'and throw back the stain which for a time clung to him "'upon the actual thief and traitor. "'No, future times may blame Richard for impetuous folly, "'but they shall say that in rendering judgment "'he was just when he should, and merciful when he could. "'Lord not thyself, cousin king,' said Edith. "'They may call thy justice cruelty.' thy mercy caprice and do not pride thyself said the king as if thy knight who hath not yet buckled in his armour were unbelting it in triumph conrad of montserrat is held a good lance what if the scot should lose the day it is impossible said edith firmly my own eyes saw yonder conrad tremble and change colour like a base thief he is guilty and the trial by combat is an appeal to the justice of god I myself, in such a cause, would encounter him without fear. By the mass, I think thou wouldest, wench, said the king, and beat him to boot, for there never breathed a truer plantagenet than thou. He paused, and added in a very serious tone, See that thou continue to remember what is due to thy birth. 
"'What means that advice so seriously given at this moment?' said Edith. "'Am I of such light nature as to forget my name, my condition?' "'I will speak plainly, Edith,' answered the king, "'and as to a friend. "'What will this knight be to you, should he come off victor from yonder lists?' "'To me,' said Edith, blushing deep with shame and displeasure. "'What can he be to me more than an honoured knight, "'worthy of such grace as Queen Berengaria might confer on him, "'had he selected her for his lady, instead of a more unworthy choice? "'The meanest knight may devote himself to the service of an empress, "'but the glory of his choice,' she said proudly, "'must be his reward.' "'Yet he hath served and suffered much for you,' said the king. "'I have paid his services with honour and applause, "'and his sufferings with tears,' answered Edith. "'Had he desired other reward, "'he would have done wisely to have bestowed his affections "'within his own degree.' "'You would not, then, wear the bloody night-gear for his sake?' "'said King Richard. "'No more,' answered Edith. "'then I would have required him to expose his life by an action "'in which there was more madness than honour. "'Maidens talk ever thus,' said the king. "'But when the favoured lover presses his suit,' she says, with a sigh, "'her stars have decreed otherwise. "'Your grace has now, for the second time, "'threatened me with the influence of my horoscope,' "'Edith replied with dignity. "'Trust me, my liege, whatever be the power of the stars,' "'your poor kinswoman will never wed either infidel or obscure adventurer. "'Permit me that I listen to the music of Blondel, "'for the tone of your royal admonitions is scarce so grateful to the ear.' "'The conclusion of the evening offered nothing worthy of notice.' End of chapter 27, part 2